Hello, hello, and welcome to the Rivley Podcast, where our goal is to inspire and encourage you to thrive in your life. And that means both in your personal and professional life. And we're doing this through conversations with entrepreneurs and business professionals from all over the world. Okay, hello. I'm here with Monique Wingard. She is an entrepreneur, digital media consultant, and tech guru. And she's also a client of Rivley, my client actually. So we've been working together for what, six months now? Or I believe, I believe it has been about six months. It, it feels um, longer just I because know, of how crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, can you start by telling us a little bit about your background and what you do and what your business is? Sure. So my background is um, quite interesting. So um, after college, my first job was, was, was with a radio station um, because the idea was for me to get as much experience as possible in all things media um, because I wanted to be behind the scenes and work for NPR on you know some kind of uh, top rated talk radio show. And so I was working at a radio station. Yeah. And that dream has not died. Uh, it just might look, it just, it just looks a little bit different, a dream deferred. So, um, first job after college was at a radio station in Atlanta. Um, those kind of gigs do not pay well. Mm -hmm. And so while I was in Atlanta, I actually got a job offer to return to Columbus, Ohio, to be a legislative staffer as um, part of a fellowship program um, and work for the Ohio Senate. And that offer went to my parents' home who knew in fact that I was working for Peanuts in Atlanta. And so needless to say, <laughs> I ended up packing up and I'm um, going back to Columbus and um, was working as a, they call it legislative aide um, for a Columbus senator, and then eventually over to a, a senator that represented Cincinnati, Ohio. Mm -hmm. From there, um, I felt limited about like my ability to do what I needed to do for constituents, and I ended up going to graduate school in the hopes of, or in at that time, thinking that I would return to that line of work as a press secretary. So I went to grad school. Um, I got into the graduate degree program, but not law school. Um, so because I was going to do like a dual degree. So I stayed for grad school. And during that process, I discovered that I had gotten so far off the beaten path of anything media related, mm -hmm. which has always been the goal um, was to couple um, people in media and, to, and impact. And I'm like, okay, what does, you know, what does this degree that I'm getting right now at, um, you know, a really good school have to do with the end game here. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so I went from that um, into working for nonprofit and program management um, for um, an organization back in Columbus, Ohio. While I was there, I think I had reached that peak where I, I realized that I was just working or just kind of checking off the box of having a job yeah um and even though you might be really good at doing something and enjoy it because i had at least five programs at five different schools in columbus ohio mm -hmm. love my students um and it was really hard to let them know that i was you know not going to be staying after having a full um 
goodness, almost two years of either after school programming or lunchtime, um, like mentorship programs. But I had gotten a full ride to Ohio University Scripps College of Communication with a living stipend. So it was like the polar opposite um, experience of what I had previously in grad school. It's like, you're going to pay me to come to school and do, and do what I love because it was all about public media, which again, yes, was that dream of being in, um, in broadcast, but behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And, and you're going to pay me to learn it. So I packed it up again, moved to Athens, Ohio. Um, from there, uh, did some teaching. So I was a grad assistant, plus I was responsible for getting up at four or five o'clock in the morning and recording a um, either going live on the air at six o'clock in the morning um, and recording 12 hours of programming for Saturday and Sundays. Um, (laughs) Which I was actually happy to do because, you know, that's one of those things where you say, you know, be careful what you ask for, what you wish for. You say, this is what you want to do and learn how to do. And I I did that. Um, The dream of like going straight from there to I'm going to Washington, D.C. and I'm going to work for NPR didn't happen. Um, (laughs) But in the in the midst of all of that, I discovered, you know, obviously like what my strengths were. And sometimes um, we learn more about what you don't want to do more so than like what you do want to do. Mm -hmm. And I had become like more than clear of all the things that I did not want to do. And I was like in a hurry to finally get to those things I really wanted to do. And I took some time to um, sit back literally as in I packed up again and left Ohio moved in with my parents in the DMV um, until I could figure out like what is going to be the roadmap to get to where um, I want to be. Mm-hmm. And while doing that, I found out that Chicago was bustling with opportunity mm-hmm. in terms of everything that I knew and loved. And that um, also happened to include technology. Yeah. Um, and so because at the time, this was the age of Twitter sort of being new, but not really. Um, Facebook was also like not really new, um, but it was still popular. And so I was in me kind of um, still being in the discovery stage and taking on freelance work. I was spending a lot of time on the computer Yeah, is where I'm going with that. So I was on the computer a lot and was actually learning a lot and didn't really realize it. So when I saw an opportunity or saw how many opportunities existed in the city of Chicago for me to continue learning more about technology, fuse it with media um, and storytelling and writing, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, what more do I need to see? Yeah. I mean, it's not it's not Washington DC, but you know, it's it'll have to do because, <laughs> because what I'm doing now because what I was doing at the time like that that was not you know this is fine I'm grateful to be able to have a home to to go to and to kind of recalibrate but it's time to hit the ground running and I packed one suitcase and um had my mom take me to Amtrak and I arrived at Union Station in Chicago and then from there was at Merchandise Mart to start um a program called the Startup Institute Mm-hmm. Um, which was essentially my uh, a gateway to build a new network, 
and reassess how I was going to tackle everything I said I wanted to do. And that's um, when you really dove into the social media tech world. And from, from there, they um, helped me. They did help me build that network of how to get into social media and to use every tra transferable skill that I had acquired um, over my entire academic and professional career. So um, I worked um, immediately after, after that program for a technical school called Computer Training Institute of Chicago, which was like baptism by fire because, it, <laughs> because I'm answering phones, I'm teaching introductory computer classes, I'm managing all of the email marketing, all of the social media, um, event planning, as in like helping to plan the event. And then the day of the event, I am there and helping to, you know, <laughs> uh, do whatever is required to make sure that it runs smoothly. And that was, that was at least two years, if not three, um, after finishing that program at uh, Merchandise Mart. But from that, um, I ended up being one of the first 25 people hired at McDonald's Corporation when they decided to build a digital team. Oh, and one would think, one would think, doesn't McDonald's already have that? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh? They had the traditional marketing and communications. Okay. And so if you have some, you know, people there who, who they probably did know, you know, enough, but if you're already trying to do whatever job you're hired to do, um, to now say, now we need you to run, uh, so run air quotes, social media yeah. for this, you know, um, this company, in addition to what you're already doing, that's a bit much. So, and that's, that's from my view. What did you like, what are the type of things you did for them? It was really just more on the creative side of like literally tweeting tweeting um but in the voice that i have to say is where i learned brand voice like yeah. what does that mean to speak as if you not not as if i'm ronald mcdonald but what does <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> if i'm a customer you know what is it that i am thinking how how would i want mcdonald's to interact with me so we learned behind the scenes and like received a brand guide that was like much more than one page long mm -hmm. but you know who who the target customer or typical customer at mcdonald's is and to speak think and act like them so they can you know be talking to a peer so you kind of like study like what does that voice sound like where do they shop what kind of things do they eat and really transform yourself when you're sitting behind the computer to speak that way to respond to them in that way. Now, the times where you would not do that, obviously, is if somebody was tweeting or um, writing something in the comment section on Facebook that was, you know, either derogatory or um, just not true. And so we were also prepared by having prepared statements from a legal team, which again, that's a whole nother department that yeah. provides you with the messaging of like what to say. So it's not all on you on like how to respond. Mm -hmm. But other than that, we, um, I was, I was probably one of the people that uh, responded to a guy that said how much he loved shamrock shakes. Yeah. <laughs> you were the so, voice of McDonald's, the digital voice of McDonald's. Yeah, yes. And I mean, we were a small but mighty team. And even within that, that 25 people, we were broken up into even smaller um, teams to, you know, to keep things interesting and to, you know, maximize 
that the impact of having that, you know, 25 people who are all really good at what they do and all passionate about it, but to learn from each other and to add that healthy competition to the work environment to see like what team could respond to as many messages that day, um, engagement, like, you know, who's writing the tweets that are getting retweeted the most or getting the most likes. And if they, if they're doing that, what are they doing and how can we duplicate that? And literally a screen in, in our hub is what we call it in the hub where you could see how many tweets were going out that day. (laughs) The ones coming in, going out, we could see that our competitors, like what they were doing. Like, I mean, you could see Taco Bell and Burger King and KFC's tweets, you know, going out to see if you could outdo them. (laughs) yeah so it was it was fun um so um and then after that uh, there was a boardroom meeting that happened apparently literally right across the street from where I was working um where it's a business incubator called 1871 so if you are a startup in Chicago um you you know or at that time you knew that that was one of the major places to be um to be in tune to like what's going on in the business and startup community in Chicago. And so um, our hub at the time for McDonald's was right across the street from Merchandise Mart, which is where 1871 is. A meeting happened um, in a boardroom and I don't remember who said, we need somebody to help with social media. My name came up in that room. And so you, that's what you, know, what you hear about, you never know, um, you know, <laughs> You never know who's listening, who's watching, um, because that could lead to the next opportunity. But my name came up in the room. Next thing I know, I'm negotiating like what I'm going to be getting paid and trying to figure out how to tell my boss at McDonald's that I'm considering this opportunity. And when I told her, she said, are you crazy? You know, get out of here. That's that's kind of, you know, a once in a lifetime McDonald's isn't going anywhere. Um, And so I ended up across the streets as the social media associate for 1871 um, where at the time there were 400 startups there and um, so you know coming in in the morning and making sure that again I'm applying that knowledge I learned from McDonald's about brand voice like what does the brand voice of this institution sound like if it's about business and startups mm-hmm. and excitement and passion and drive and yeah. <laughs> plus I'm in a city like Chicago and they are really proud all everybody should be proud about uh, about where they come from mm-hmm. Chicagoans however uh they they take the prize and so <laughs> I had to be careful um about making sure that I express that in a way that would get the respect of someone from Chicago and not necessarily Ohio so yes um after that my goodness and this is and I told you this was an interesting journey after that I end up on a completely opposite end of anything related to not not completely but um it was still tech but it was not related to business. So I end up at a Christ, a black, um, I need to be specific here, black Christian publishing company. Yeah. And so um, there are not a lot of companies out there that have um, seen the importance of contextualizing literature for 
um, black churches. Mm -hmm. And so um, they're, they are considered a legacy organization, which me means like, you know, they've been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. They've been doing what works and it's been working well. Mm -hmm. However, now digital now yeah. plays a role. And they had not quite gotten a good grasp on that. And in comes me where it's just like, okay, now I've gone from being at my parents, <laughs> just kind of figuring, just kind of figuring it out um, on, my, on my laptop, um, having a good time while doing it, and you know, learning in the process, to you know, working for really great companies, uh, tech school, and now I'm at a, at an organization who needs um, my help to yeah. figure out how to navigate this new space. And through that experience, I. Um, would say the proudest moment there would be my Facebook ad reaching Nigeria and then a Nigerian church come emailing um, me mm -hmm. to show me a video that they produced, a music video of their vacation Bible school students performing a video that was a part of the company's Bible school curriculum. Oh, that's awesome that it reached that far to make that, that it, yes. personal yes. connection. Yes, from a Facebook ad in which I I can't put a number on it, but it, it was not a lot of money. Wow. So, <laughs> so you know, to spend a, a little and make a lot, if when you can do that anytime in business, that's a it's a beautiful thing. So, but I was more so uh excited to know that the message they wanted to convey mm -hmm. um what had reached another you know part yes. of the world Enough yes out to you it's like we went we're global like yeah. we went global yeah <laughs> that's amazing so that's um that is the journey all in a nutshell that has brought me now to saying well if i can do that for all of those companies mm -hmm. why not my own which has always been um to some degree the goal yeah. like the, the dream um especially once i went to chicago my goal was to start my own company and i think in the back of my mind there was a lot of intimidation yeah with with attempting to do something like that and so um making sure that i was continuing to get experience was took precedence over me just taking that leap of faith and just i'm gonna start a company yeah <laughs> you know um, hundreds of miles away from home and we're in a city where I have no family and I'm you know building a brand new network I'm just going to up and start a company so there was a lot of I have to admit like fear um, excitement and valuable learning that that happened so what did actually push you to make that leap to entrepreneurship wanting to focus on a certain segment um, of people and wanting to work with more more than just one mm -hmm. um, person. So there's actually never been a time that I've never that I didn't have like a we'll call it a side hustle. Like I've always on the side yeah, been exactly. doing something, yeah. um, and it may not have been like what I'm doing right now, but you know I've always been either free, uh, writing a freelance article while I'm working full-time um, and honestly what what pushed me 
are the coffee chats. It was the people who wanted to pick my brain. I would have to say, I have to thank for <laughs> me deciding to monetize. It's like the post that we posted on Consult with Savvy that was like, yes. no, you can't pick my brain, but you can pay for my services. Yes. I think it was after the third time and it was so blatant that um, I met somebody for coffee. And so in hindsight, when you think about what all goes into that, like I love a good coffee shop. I love a cup of coffee. And, but having to take time out of my day to number one, travel to whatever coffee shop we're going to, mm -hmm. um, you know, either they're buying it or I'm buying it. That's kind of up in the air. But then the time that is now going to be spent for you to ask me whatever question you want about how to achieve your goal. And all I got out of it was a, a cup of coffee. And they're going to make money off of that tip. You know? <laughs> but in the back of my mind, though, I think that I was always thinking, oh, this is a good opportunity. Like, don't think that way. Don't think that you're being taken advantage of because it's, you know, this is an opportunity, which, you know, sometimes for some people, it does pan out to be that. But there was one person who sat and literally had a notebook out and wrote down almost word for word everything I said with the intent. And I believe even told me when I was finished that, oh, yeah, I have a um, an assistant or yeah, I have this person and I'm going to give them this and let them have them do this. Oh and, the was, and the meeting was over. And, you know, I'm like, did I literally, did I spend my time, my valuable time to sit here with you during, to have coffee for you to pick my brain to write down all of my ideas to go and carry them out on your, you know, on your own. Yeah. And the one thing that has given me peace about that is that, you know, people can, copy or you know write down your ideas or even try to duplicate what you're or try to duplicate what you're doing but they never it never quite adds up to like what I do yeah. or what or what anybody would do for that matter like if I try to do you know your job the, the way that you have been doing it for years it's still not going to have that special um touch that you you know that you bring so yeah. so why don't you tell us what your business is exactly so um, I started Savvy Consulting and Communications um, because I saw a need for women who were in leadership who needed to amplify their mission mm -hmm. and like not just their mission, but their online presence, mm -hmm. no matter how much of a bad rap things like social media um, gets, mm -hmm. it has a, it has a place and mm -hmm. it has value. Yeah. And, and there's a way to go about um, utilizing it effectively. Mm -hmm. And so the more I started to see um, women specifically, not that, you know, guys, no offense, but, you know, me, hey, you know, being a woman and being a, a Black woman, a lot of these people are my peers. And I see them, you know, out there doing amazing things and trying to shout it to the world, but it's not reaching the people that it needs to reach yeah. and so and I'm sitting back and watching and knowing like well you know well all we need to do is get your uh, website up and you can start a blog um, and just make sure that you are posting on a consistent basis 
or you know what you should do that you should start a, a campaign like you don't have to post every day but start a campaign that is you know either informing people educating them inspiring them just to, to help people figure out how they can go about getting their message out mm -hmm. in a way that convey that conveys their unique approach or message mm -hmm. so um i started it i started it for women in leadership and that's you know that's women in office um entrepreneur um entrepreneurial women um or somebody who's still trying to figure it out i mean i just had a call today with um a entrepreneur who has been working on an app for almost four years oh, and awesome. and she was turned down from for funding because of her amount of followers. Oh, really? Someone, this person commented to her um, to come back when she builds her audience. And this, her business and our app is about black women's health. Um, it is about educating people about the mortality rate of um, black women, which I mean is alarming. And you mean to tell me that the the value that this person is putting on a resource like that is based on how many followers she has on social media? But um, and I'm and I'm sure that's not the only, but that part. But the the funder or VC that she spoke to in this meeting, that's what it came down to. That's what it ultimately did come down to. Was it sounds good. Um, keep, you know, keep at it, kid, you know, keep, keep going. And when you, when you get a few more people come, you know, come see us. Wow. And I mean, and she, and she could, she was able to produce the receipts, you know, during the call, because I kept bringing up names of people mm -hmm. that are out there saying that women like her are the women they want to help yeah. with funding, with funding, you know, not with a tweet, right? not with an interview, but I want to, to finance your dream. But when you're going to those people and that's the response, that's, it's not okay. No. And so if I, if there's nothing else, then I sat down with her and we came up right there during the consultation call with a plan of action of like, well, you know what, that's, we're not going to settle for that. This is what we're going to do. And so I sat on the phone with her to give her like a, you know, a high level overview of what the next steps should be. Mm -hmm. and to give her a plan of action that she can execute on her on her own and if she needs you know me and or us to step in you know that's where the the business um part comes in to see like what what is what does that look like in terms of cost what does it look like in terms of timeline um that works for for everyone so that goes to show like no matter how incredible your messages that you're trying to get out there like people really do care about i mean as, yeah. as it is people really do care about that yes account and the engagement if you think about what you and i do which you know we're not we're not funders but we are consumers but if you think about what do you do when you hear the name of a product or a company that you're interested in you google it 
right. or you look it up, you go and try to find out more information. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't covered all bases to at the very least have that website up or have the Facebook business page or mm-hmm. have some way for people to find out more, mm-hmm. um, it does put you at a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. It should not be the determinant, d- determining factor of you getting funded because <laughs> maybe you don't have any of those things because you need the money because the funding to do it. <laughs> Fix and WordPress and GoDaddy and, you know, none of these, Shopify, none of them operate for free. No, yeah, they lose money. <laughs> yes, so. So how do you usually find these clients that you work with? Is it just by word of mouth or do you reach out to people? So uh, starting out over the course of the time I've spent in Chicago, it was it's been word of mouth, mm-hmm. which is kind of like, I don't want to say um, spoiled me. How should I put that? It has been a blessing Mm -hmm. that I have not spent um, very much money at all on marketing. Mm -hmm. Like I've been able to so far survive on receiving a text message from a complete stranger that says, hey, so-and-so said you could help me. Um, Or uh, an email that says, hi, you know, I remember you from, uh, I have like one from that says, I remember you from 1871. I heard you're doing X, Y, Z now. And I just wanted to talk and to see, you know, what I might be, what I can do different. Yeah. So yeah, word, word of mouth. I've been able within the first now year and a half, um, the, my company has been established for three years. So I did actually um, incorporated in 2017, but in 2017, I was still, you know, working full time mm-hmm. and just trying to see if this would, if this could work. Um, so it's only been about a year and a half that I have been able to survive just on like uh, recommendations. Um, so I'm thinking like, man, if I do, if I put my own Facebook ad out there, I better, you know, get ready. So I'm trying to build the infrastructure to take on right. <laughs> what's out there. so what has been the most difficult part of owning your own business um versus when you used to work for a different company what's been the biggest struggle in that leap for you um so you mean like when I was doing as a side hustle what was the challenge or now like now being full-on running your own business what's the hardest part or what was the hardest thing to like transition to for you Oh my goodness. Um, I consider myself to be really organized Mm -hmm. and I can even say well-read. I mean, I love to read. I am a lifelong learner, but it has been a never ending process of making mistakes Mm -hmm. and, you know, falling down and getting back up every, every day, every day, maybe even like every other hour, depending on what kind of email Mm -hmm. (laughs) comes through my inbox. But, um, it has been that the challenge of learning what um, I did not know or what I, you know, was not covered in, in college or in yeah. um, processes. Like when I say I consider myself to be organ- organized, there are so many moving parts in what I do. Um, so, you know, if there is a social media campaign, an email marketing campaign, somebody needs a flyer done. Um, if I need to work on a, an article, like what it could be any number of things, none of them can get done if you do not have a good process. Well, I take that back. You can get it done, 
but you will get it done with much less stress on yourself and the person you are trying to help if there's a process. Yeah. When stuff is just like up in the air, anything goes. Mm-hmm. To me, it's just a, a recipe for a complete disaster yeah. or just, you know, something that, or, or a company that I don't want to run. Like, I don't want to run anything where I just don't know from day to day how I'm going to receive a message or I'm going to send somebody um, an email with no clarity mm-hmm. on like where we are on the projects. Like it, this is, it's a business. So, and I, and I am treating it as such. So it has been both making sure that I'm setting a standard Mm -hmm. and, and also letting the people that I work with know Mm -hmm. that this is a business. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? This is, you're not calling in a favor. Right. It's not a coffee chat. (laughs) Yeah. It's not a free coffee chat, you know, just out of fairness for, for everybody involved, whether it be the client or me let's think this out to get to the 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 end game like you know that goal that we both want to achieve there's a way to get there so that that's been challenging for me and figuring out oh gosh you know what there's a thousand tools to use you know you watch youtube and yeah everybody's trying to get you to download their productivity app and so i have i have had to try many of them until i land on the one that works for me yeah i try like Yes, try a lot of trial and error. <laughs> Definitely. Um, I could probably name a few other things. Those are but those are that's the those are the two right now. Yeah, that if I um, had to think the most recent challenges that I have just on my own sat back and thought about it's like, mm-hmm. man, had I had I had that together on the front end, how much smoother things would go. It's like I survived, but with a little bit more gray hair than I had before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, over the past six months, since we started working together, speaking of all those challenges, what are some of the ways that Rivley has been able to help you with all of that and with the processing and organization or just having a virtual assistant in general? <laughs> My inbox is a beast. <laughs> yeah, it's a monster in there. So. <laughs> So Ripley has taken away the the angst of opening up my my email in the morning and just not even knowing where to start. Mm -hmm. And I know that it sounds so trivial, like it's just email, Mm -hmm. but it's like it's just email. But then there's also, you know, five or six people who are waiting on you to finish Mm -hmm. a project. Uh, for them there's three subcontractors waiting on you to get back to them on like what they're supposed to be working on and by when like there are other things that I as the business owner that I need to be doing have the person that is preparing my business taxes yeah is you know waiting on me to send over spreadsheets like there are um other aspects of the business that needs to get done and so the administrative part that I may have been able to do when I first started out Mm-hmm. has increased substantially to a point of needing help which is where Rivley um you know aka Chelsea stepped in and was like I got you I <laughs> you had like 8,000 unread emails in <laughs> and I tried oh to get through like 500 a day <laughs> 
dare we tell the story of how I even reached out because I had reached like when the when the pandemic and all of this um quarantining and you know what what is happening like what is happening right now when when it reached its height at mm-hmm. the beginning and then you know I was already kind of um not stressed out but over I was already overwhelmed yeah at at that time when um COVID was for was you know it was it was it's here and we need to quarantine and wait to see what's next and so I'm talking about you know I'm going to the grocery store and toilet paper is sold out and I can't find Clorox and Lysol like that week when all of that crazy stuff hit is like the week we met I think neither of us was in a good place because I remember on our introduction email we were both like okay we'll catch up tomorrow yeah tomorrow (laughs) and then Sasha goes do you guys know that tomorrow's Saturday and both of us right no, yes. like we both didn't know what day yes. of the day it was. So Ripley stepped in at a time where I what well, I did not know what was going to be next. Like I within that same week that we were in contact, cleaned had to clean out my office. And it was just like I, you know, loved having that little space, but it's like, okay, if we're doing quarantining, even if they do decide that hey you can come in but you have to social distance and mask up I still I at that time and even now I was not even willing to do that much and so I went ahead and chalked it up at you know that moment mm-hmm. when the mayor and the governor said hey we are on lockdown I think it was either that night or that coming Monday um, if somebody would have been on 53rd street, the day I cleaned up my office, like I didn't even drive. I like, <laughs> I walked <laughs> to the office and was like carrying stuff because I didn't want to lose my parking spot. So if you, if you live in Chicago and specifically in Hyde Park, a parking spot is just not a guarantee. And I had a VIP spot, like right in front of my apartment building. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I am not losing this parking spot. If I'm supposed to be now on lockdown, the last thing I need to be doing is driving around the neighborhood and having to potentially park, you know, in a different zip code and then walking to my apartment. So like I left my car parked and I walked to my office. (laughs) Also, weren't you like in the middle of where all the riots and everything were? And and I was I was in one, there were many hot spots, but um I was yes in an area where it was like there was a lot of uncertainty, but also yes, there were windows busted out um in the retail corridor um on 53rd Street in Hyde Park. And so again you know, not being from the city and then you have, and then having family who was already not quite on board with, you know, all the cities for you to pick to move to, Monique. (laughs) All the cities. Like on our meeting, like, oh yeah, there was a bunch of gunshots just going. Oh, how could I forget that? Yes, we're on a, yes, I'm on a call and there's, you know, gunshots and I have this, I have the citizen app and so it's like, I don't need the citizen app because my window's open and I can hear it. <laughs> so in the meantime, you know, I need to be getting work done. So I'm like, I'm still supposed to be getting work done and taking meetings. It was, it was a lot. So Rivley again, to, 
to completely uh, answer that question, that is when Rivley came in when things were hot, yeah. literally. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. When I on our meetings, I, you'd be like, I haven't slept in a week. And I'd be like, me neither. Yeah, yes. The insomnia was real. Um, my high school classmates and I, for a long time, we've fallen off, but when that first started, we were all checking in on each other. And I can count of at least two times where I was up on Zoom calls with um, people from high school where we just sat on the phone and talked. And you could tell that it was it was just comforting mm -hmm. for everybody to just be in close community with people that you know, um, because all of them have moved to cities where, you know, it's it's not only unfamiliar, but you don't have family there. So it's like if something does go down, you're, you know, you might have the, the few people that you met along the way once you got there, but it's nothing is like family. Yeah. Um, so it, it felt that way. And that's probably why we were up till maybe three or four in the morning um, the night of um, riots happening in almost every major city one night, we all just stayed up on the phone with each other and, and talked. Yeah. It's good to have that connection when we're, when we're also, I mean, we still are, but so I yeah. Absolutely. So you spoke a little bit about the difficulties of running your own business. So now I want to ask you what the difficulties are being a black female entrepreneur, um, maybe like all through the history of you starting your business and also specifically in the year 2020. Because I think that while 2020 has been a really awful year, it's brought up some really important conversations. And that's something I've appreciated from following your pages is you really, you have those conversations and you get into them. So um, one of my first experiences after moving to Chicago was, it was, it was a true test. Like not only was moving to Chicago, you know, sight unseen, um, had not really, I, I know I had not at all um, researched neighborhoods, mm -hmm. um, like where to live, any of those kind of things. Mm -hmm. But it was a test for me to see if I was serious about living my dream. If I was serious about um, starting my own company and, um, and thriving, in the areas I'm saying I want to thrive in. So um, one of my first experiences in the program that I had enrolled in was, um, and people on the, listening to the podcast can't see my hair, um, but because, you know, there's a lot, lot of hair, you know, to deal with and um, black women who can relate, sometimes you do a wash and go and a wash and go is, is you know, you wash it and you go and in that process, the hair gets big, depending on, you know, what kind of hair you have. So my, my hair over the course of what you're seeing right now, mm -hmm. if we, if you were to see me two hours from now, it's going to be even bigger, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, you know, and it, it, it is curly, yeah. but um, I can, I'll never forget one day I showed up and I had my cute little um, dress on and I had on a beret and then I had um, the beret on top of, you know, my curls. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I can say, I'm not ashamed to say like, I was cute that day, yeah. but- Where were you if, going? What were you showing up to? I was showing up to, so there were like regular meetings, like where I would have to be um, there on site by 9 a.m. every day to um, engage with my cohort. Mm -hmm. 
okay. um, that was part of this um, program for us to, you know, to build a new network and to continue like developing um, a specific skill set so that when it was over, we would be able to apply what we learned there plus what we already knew into um, integrating into the business community there in Chicago, you know, to land a, to land a job essentially. So um, there were only maybe two other, there were two other black women and one, um, one black man in this program. And there were maybe 50 of us. So it was, there were not a lot of people that looked like me there. And um, the other two um, black women, they did wear their hair um, straightened, like, you know, chemically straightened. Yeah. And I'm all for that. I've, you know, done that probably for half my life also having a relaxer. But so you got a black girl that's kind of standing out like a sore thumb with the big hair. And we did a icebreaker that morning in which we had to write down a business idea because um, some of the best businesses come about by ideas that would seemingly be completely ridiculous, but they're actually really great ideas. So we all had to write down um, ideas of a business that is almost completely out outlandish, but it could work. Mm -hmm. And so I, my business was, how about a potato chip delivery company? Mm -hmm. um, because you know, there's a company out there that delivers cookies. I can't remember what it's called right now, um, Insomnia. Mm. And, and I have actually ordered cookies from um, in, cool. Insomnia. Yeah, at like midnight, they will deliver you fresh baked That's cookies. Awesome. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and so mine is like, hey, I'm, you know, potato chips. Yeah. And so as we went on throughout this exercise, someone thought it would be a good idea to start a clown hair company in which there was um, clown hair attached to a beret. And if you could have seen, they didn't have to say it because it was written, there was no accountability because we wrote these things down on pieces of paper and put them into a hat and just, you know, read off what these company ideas were um, with the intent of you know, getting everybody in the room to get back into thinking creatively and fearlessly about having a concept and running with it. And you yes, know who wrote that? I do not know to this day who wrote that down. But when whoever read that idea out, they did not even want to read it out because it was so very clearly, you know what I mean? A, a knock at the black girl in the room with the big hair and a beret on. Oh and gosh. I was so, <laughs> I was, I'll, I'll say this, um, I had already had a good um, training ground in the state of Ohio in many different aspects um, with those kinds of um, encounters. So I could say like whoever did that did not know who they were dealing with. Yeah. Had it, had it been, um, you know, a time where I was still very young, mm -hmm. there may have been tears, but for me, I knew how to, to play the game and play along. I did, in hindsight, I wish I would have made, um, you know, not made an, made an issue in that I'm going to give you the angry black woman that you were trying to bring out, but to have addressed the room Right. in that moment to let you know that this is not okay mm -hmm. you know I know what you're trying to do and to just and so I've let it to um, be a learning moment 
and and to also put them on notice that you know whatever whatever it is you're trying to do mm-hmm. not going to work mm-hmm. and so I just made it a point for the remainder of that program to be the person that was going to do the absolute best mm-hmm. to be the person um, to be the person that our families as black men and women tell us to be which is um, three times as good to get half as much and so I had to kick that you know I had to tap into that mindset where it's just like oh okay so these are not your peers Mm -hmm. you know you thought you got too comfortable like you thought you were coming into a situation where you were going to be able to make friends and that this really would be a valuable network that you could tap back into when you needed it but got it still take what you need from it and and move on and everything after that as I went over at the beginning of this call like I have I don't have any complaints about what my experience was um after after leaving that program like I had an amazing experience worked for great um great brands um and I look back and there are quite a few people who did not like there was there was no next um for them which that's neither neither here nor there Mm -hmm. um but I'll just say that that was a challenge for me which not a challenge but that was one of my first um experiences um with entering this space of being in startup culture because technically I, I am a startup I'm not necessarily a tech startup but you know, that still leads back to business, you mm-hmm. know, and I am a business owner at that time, had an interest in building a business um, as well as my skill set and my network. Mm-hmm. But I was going to have to figure out a way to, you know, nurture and build that mindset in an environment that was not, <laughs> not really conducive right. to that. But I, I knew, I knew how to, I knew how to, to, to handle it. And you know, and here I am, I'm still standing. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like what you said, um, having to work three times as hard for half as much that that is also true for running your business. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can right now, um, think of instances where I've sought the advice, um, of women who mean really well, and who have a lot of knowledge, um, they have been really successful in what they do, but the approach that they took, if I were to do the same thing, and I'll even try to be even more specific, the outcomes would just be different. Like there have been several, um, several instances where I've been given advice on what to do to grow my business. And, you know, and I do that, and the outcome is not, not, not favorable. I mean, especially as it relates to something like, you know, money. Yeah. Um, or um, I know there is a, a woman who actually owns a company um, and she was like one of the first people to start a like social media um, agency. And I mean, I'm, I'm not like 100% just a social media agency, but she's like one of the first people to do something like that. And I had a phone call um, with her. We've met in person and like, and had calls. Mm -hmm. And her experience, like from the ground up was just so, so polar opposite of anything I've like ever experienced. I mean, even down to the startup capital that she had. Mm -hmm. 
to start her business and to make the same mistakes that I um, have made on the front end, but to be able to recover Mm -hmm. faster than I would be able to um, by figuring out a way to get more clients or, you know what I mean? Or to take on, or to take on some debt um, to keep things up and running. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, there's, there's that aspect. Um, and just experiences where I can tell while I'm speaking to someone, um, and I'll, I'll be, uh, direct and say, like, I can tell, like, when I'm speaking to, like, maybe a white man, Mm -hmm. and while I'm talking to him, he's just kind of, you know, the body language says, yeah, that's nice, or, you know, that, that's cute, um, but, and I've, I've had, I've had a guy, I've gone and talked to a guy about my business and it ends with him telling me about my resume and telling me that I need to get like my resume redone or something. And it's like, well, that may be true. What does that have to do with me coming in here with my value, you know, um, you know, uh, value proposition Mm -hmm. and you helping me with my business plan and, you know, all of, all of those things that, um, would make, that would ensure that every room I enter, I have all the tools I need um, to be successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So wow. those, that yeah, happened. Another one I wanted to mention that I've been noticing and talking to you about is the stock image issue. And Ooh, I ashamed <laughs> that I didn't notice that until like the last six months. Yes. Um, I cannot think of it. I think it's, um, hashtag double w-o-c in tech so um the stock image issue became uh, s- such a problem that um an organization and i don't know if it's an organization but i do remember that there was a group that started an initiative to do a photo shoot over the course of either like a weekend or like or a week i don't know how long they spent doing it but if you were to look up and i'm pretty sure it's um hashtag W-O-C-I-N tech. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were going to take on that task of like building the stock library that is available Mm -hmm. um, to people who are in this space. And I don't remember what their goodbye letter said, but I do know that it it became a temporary effort rather than like a long-term one, Mm -hmm. which I was sad to see. Um, I'm happy to see though that the pictures have been able to be distributed um, to companies like, um, I know I see see them on Buffer. I can't remember who Buffer sources their photos from, mm-hmm. um, but those photos are available there. Um, they're still available on Flickr because mm-hmm. um, I think that's where they are um, housing all of the stock photos to download for free, mind you. Yeah. That's important. Like they're, the photos are free and they reflect, um, um, black women in professional settings yeah. and in, in settings um, working with technology or um, in an office, in a, in a boardroom. Mm-hmm. And then there's also create her stock, yeah, which I've continued to utilize um, that service. And there probably are um, others, but they just, um, for whatever reason, um, have not been able to get the word out. Um, mm-hmm as much as they would like, or even I would like, so that I, so I can start using their, um, 
their products also but yeah stock stock images um it's better than it was yeah. having available stock stock images of um, black men and women in professional settings or in in settings of just everyday life you know enjoying life are sometimes far and few mm -hmm. um and it's it's really funny um at my previous company we would joke and i can't remember what we named the guy but there was a guy um that we had to identify is like, do not use this picture anymore. Like this guy, <laughs> this guy is showing up on the cover of, you know, all of our flyers. He's on, you know, he's on the social media page. <laughs> yeah, it was just like, I mean, it, but it, it was a good picture. And there were many different pictures of the same guy in like different settings, but it's like enough already. Like we've got to find somebody else. <laughs> it's like either we got to find somebody else or we have to find this guy and hire him as like a brand ambassador to do a commercial or something. Cause I mean, you know, and it, and it wasn't done on purpose. It's like, you know, if different departments are working on different things, That's somehow that same guy was still somehow showing up on stuff and we had to like during finally when there was like an all staff meeting it's like hey just wanted to let everybody know and hold up the picture please stop using this picture or the picture of this guy because <laughs> just because yeah because and just put a period on it so i mean that's another example of how you were saying work twice as hard because like you pay for create her stock, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. You have to, if it seems like lots of those really good photos, stock photos that are representing black women in professional settings, like you're saying, you have to pay for them. Mm -hmm. Which is yeah. crazy because now you're having to spend extra money on your business for something that should be free. It, it should be, but the, the flip side of that is that so the, and I don't know her name, but I do know that, you know, it's a black woman owned. Mm -hmm. The other side of that is for her to have a successful company, you know, running her stock photo company, she does have to charge something. So it's like, I get that, but a company like Canva, right. A company like Canva, however, I would like to see them increase the amount of photos available. And I'm sure she would love to be able to offer them for free. But if we were to put her up against, um, you know, I don't want to say Canva because they're not completely a stock photo company. I cannot think for some reason of the larger, what is it? I use Unsplash and they're very so there's Unsplash and, um, oh my gosh, there's a much larger one, um, iStock, I think is another one. Mm -hmm. But any of the, the major stock photo companies, it would be awesome if she could be competitive right. with those companies because they are substantially more expensive than Create Her Stock. And like her, the amount of photos she has available would probably increase if she had the funding to, you know, to hire this, you know, rock star team of photographers and models or whatever to go out there and, and take the photos. And those are the kind of the, the changes I would like to see, like not only for the, um, the companies that provide a small amount of photos, but the, the black men and women who have started companies to address the problem for them to get, um, the funding yeah. that they need to, to grow. 
And it's not like, it's not like you're giving, you know, a handout because they are solving a problem, Mm -hmm. um, providing a good service. Yeah. I mean, I think that's an amazing company. And, you know, when you talk about supporting small businesses, I don't even know if it's a small business, but it's one that I would want to support because yeah, like it's so needed. But then on the flip side, it's sad that there's so few of them. Exactly. And I can just imagine, you know, me being a small business owner and knowing that, you know, my bandwidth is, you know, it, it has its limits. I can't imagine on her, on her ends, like what that looks like. Cause I mean, I know nothing about that industry. And so, um, like what, what would have her arrive at the decision to one day just say (laughs) enough, kind of like what, what the other company, like not company, but the, um, the effort, uh, women and women of color in tech, when, what had them arrive at that decision to say, like, we know we're addressing a major issue in terms of representation, mm-hmm. but if, you know, people can't survive on air. So maybe it was that that was just like, if the money's not going to come, this, this is where this has to end. Mm-hmm. And so. I, I asked you about this before, but for the podcast, um, like, where do you think this issue stems from? I know you were mentioning the history of it and people saving photos. Can you touch on that a little bit? Yes, if I could, that is such, oh my goodness. If I could find the name of the company, that is that is really gonna bother me. But the way that anybody that's listening to this um, can find out more, if you go to the NABJ Chicago um, Facebook page, um, we hosted an event with um, the National Museum of African-American History and Culture. Um, and it was called um, digit, um, digitize, Digitizing Black Narratives. Mm-hmm. So if you Google Digitizing Black Narratives, um, or again, go to that Facebook page uh, for NABJ Chicago, and there's an entire video of um, a woman who is an archivist who recognized the fact that photos that are I mean priceless like well that will can never be you know redone because they're from like the 20s 30s 40s you know from the the Harlem Renaissance era um that are just being tossed away in the garbage or have been destroyed in fires Mm -hmm. um and and she discussed um at having worked at the Chicago Defender and at some point like when things were starting to make that transition from, you know, print no longer um, being as um, not reputable, but, um, oh my goodness, starting to lose my trade, not, not making as much money. So when, when print was starting to fade out with that, you know, you have people transitioning out and um, that leaves a building, you know, a building that is full of not only company files, but photos Mm -hmm. um, that need to be archived. Mm -hmm. And if you think about what happens, you know, somebody that may have been working there their whole life and they lose their job, how Mm -hmm. much care and concern do you think they have about photos in some back room somewhere? And so she discussed like being on the scene just in in the nick of time before I think a building was getting ready to be demolished um, or, um, they were in jeopardy of an entire room of photos mm-hmm. of, of, um, really influential, um, people in the community just being destroyed. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that, those things not being treasured or, you know, not, not being transported or um, digitized mm-hmm. in a way to preserve that history. Yeah. And from that, she brought up the issue of even in, um, in the home, where if you think about, you know, when family members pass away, those photo albums that are on the bookshelf mm-hmm. or um, photo albums that wherever they are in the home, when that family member passes away, who's going in and making sure that if you don't get anything else out of there, get those pictures. Right. Because if not, what do you think the bank or, you know, some contractors are going to do when they need to flip that house? They have no emotional tie to whatever that is, but that's, that's history. That's our, you know, that's our our culture Mm -hmm. and a photograph that's going to either end up in the trash can or in some instances, what, like at a Goodwill, but you know, even then, yeah, what, what do you do? And so uh, the, the issue to sum it all up is that a greater effort needs to be made, not just in the area of um, stock photography and, you know, things that are commercial, but thing, but um, photography and images that um, place value on our history um, as, as it existed at that time, because it can't, you can't re, you can't duplicate it. You cannot recreate that. And that is what NABJ and the National Museum of African American um, History and Culture wanted to reiterate Mm -hmm. at that time. And even now, I think that effort is still there um, for you to digitize family Mm -hmm. records and photos because once it's gone, you know, what, what do you, that's, that's it, it's gone. Well, that's awesome that you, cause you were a part of that event, right? Um, yes, just, um, yes, as a, um, a member uh, of the, the board of the organization, um, I was there, but I was very much just like a participant, you know, a member of the audience to just take in um, all of what she was saying and to figure out what I needed to do within my own family to make sure that photos are something that we figure out a way to keep, you know, to protect those, digitize them, do whatever we need to do to make sure that they're not, you know, even unintentionally um, destroyed because that's a part of history. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not just our family history, but literally, you know, <laughs> history that you you can't you can't get that back. Um, and the one thing that did give me some hope is that I do recall um, that Google did step in in this effort um, with the National Museum of African American History and Culture to provide um, a resource in terms of like storage mm-hmm. and, a, and a re-education on, um, on this issue. Um, so yes, please. If anybody does want to, to learn more about that, if even if you were just to look up digitizing Black narratives mm-hmm. um, or um, to look up Google and, um, and Black stock, um, Black photography, you would find um, more information about that. And, and I want, if I can. To go to NABJ. Um, NABJ um, Chicago.org. Okay. But on Facebook, you would just um, search for, um, you know, if you go to Facebook and then just search for NABJ Chicago and it's the, not the group page, but it's the actual um, organization page. And if you flip through the videos, 
um, eventually you'll see a video um, of called Digitizing um, Black Narratives. And it was hosted at the DuSable Museum. Awesome. Okay, thank you. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I feel like people need to become more aware of it, even if it's so that they're saving pictures like you're talking about, because it's not a first thought, you know, to save your family pictures. <laughs> no, because I mean, for whatever reason, some people don't look at that as like an heirloom. Right. Um, or maybe they do. But at a time like that when you know some uh, family member has passed it could just be overwhelming yeah to, to have that on your mind to say well let me um uh, put that to the side for a second and go and search through the many um you know items or belongings of this person that's no longer here and find pictures yeah um and if you're not in a position um you know in terms of your living situation to house that kind of um, to store rather that um, those kinds of things that's a whole nother um, issue mm -hmm. that I'm not really even sure you know what what you would do other than see if you could submit them to the Library of Congress or to the museum um, that's in DC or to a museum that's in your um, your area like if you you know you live in a studio apartment and you know all the responsibility is on you to um, to figure out what to do with this person's belongings. You, mm -hmm. I mean, you just, even if you wanted to, you can't bring it all there. Yeah. Um, and then we all know how uh, moving can be. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like a, a move can be, uh, you know, in itself uh, a task. And it's like the less stuff you have to transport, the better, so. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing a bit about that. I'm really was excited to have you talk about that just because like especially your voice online and on social media um so I'll link your Instagram on the podcast so people can follow you because your page is super inspiring <laughs> oh really yeah so I can't remember um so there's uh this uh young lady and she she gets she's like you're not that much older than me, but she she is younger than me, and so I kind of consider her like a like a mentee. She just graduated from college. Her her name's Desiree, and she's been getting on me. She's like just post every day, yeah. just every day, and so that's why I've been like just to kind of hold up my end of the bargain. Yeah, I'm like okay, I'm gonna post. Like I have to like now when we get off the call, I have something I'm just kind of sitting on. Yeah, and it's because I don't have like that, that perfect messaging that I want to put to it. Cause it's going to be a throwback Thursday post. And it's kind of like a, you know, reflective kind of thing. She's like, don't overthink it. And she's yeah. like, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, just whatever you can think of, just put it up there. And she's like really into this. Like that's her area is like content and video and social. So I, I'm probably like a test case for her or something. But to me, it was just like, she, she's been motivating me to be, yeah to continue doing whatever it is I'm doing. Yeah. So I'm glad, glad to hear that because I'm, I'm never sure. And I had gotten to the point to where I just stopped completely and it was like sporadic. So yeah, so I know this we're like going way over time but I wanted to ask you one more question um, before oh, sure. we end it. But um, because at Rivley, we're super big on balance between like your work life and your personal life. Mm -hmm. um, you've been working from home for a while now. So I wanted to ask you 
um, how you balance that and stay productive working from home and what some tips are that you have for anyone listening? Um, what I have started doing lately, um, when I can stick to it, is working for, say, 20 or 30 minutes at a time and then stopping. Mm-hmm. Like, even if you have to set a timer, mm-hmm. just and get up and get up from your desk because um, nothing good can come (laughs) from sitting at your desk all day and eating at your desk and just not getting up. So it has worked really well for me to put limits on almost anything, everything. Mm -hmm. So I set set a timer on my phone for like 20 minutes. Um, And even if it's, I just stand up at my desk or to get up and walk to the kitchen and get a snack and then come back to whatever it is I'm doing. Um, and either continue that same project or start on something else Mm -hmm. Um, because I can get started on something and just end up so engrossed in that one project Mm -hmm. that everything else is still waiting on me and it's like oh man so the block scheduling too right do you still do that yes yes and so block block scheduling which Chelsea set up for me Um, because it was just before I'm just whatever I'm making it up I'm making up whatever uh, I need to do next is you know it's going to pop up in my inbox or it's on my desk but I've gotten a lot more um, disciplined about my my day-to-day like even you know checking my schedule um, the night before it's really honestly all of the things that one would do when you were working for somebody else give yourself that same respect you know what I mean (laughs) yeah okay pretending that well I mean you are your own boss but actually right (laughs) yes so it's like really I've had to to tap back into like however I was functioning when this was for someone else it's like well you know why would that not work for me to you know to make sure that I'm I'm sticking to a schedule Mm -hmm. I'm setting deadlines um, in in a way that the deadline is not on a post-it note somewhere inside of a book, like it's in front of me, (laughs) you know, there's going to be an alert going off, you know, maybe somebody's not going to email me to say, Hey, what's going on, but Mm -hmm. I'm going to set an alert where I'm essentially reminding myself like, Hey, you know, time to to get it done. Yeah. Yeah. And I see that you have reminders to like rest or do a meditation. Yes. So I have to, I have to get better. Um, at that, I have, um, I would say I have transitions to doing a lot of that more in the morning, mm-hmm. especially after I got my rowing machine. So oh. before I got the rowing machine, um, I was doing really well with stopping midday to do my, um, to do like, you know, some meditation. I have my yoga mat out mm-hmm. um, to make sure that I'm doing that. Um, but I have been cheating a little bit. So you're finding that out. I have been, <laughs> well, not cheating, not cheating, but I have transitioned that um, time to like meditate into like exercise to like um, the morning. And so I've been getting on like the rower and doing like, if I only have 10 minutes, it's going to be on the rowing machine. But if I can do 20 minutes, then I'm going to do 20 straight minutes um, with the music blasting in my headphones mm-hmm. and uh, go have a good breakfast and then start my day. But not to say that I should not still be doing my meditation midday. I need to get that <laughs> back in there because it is really easy for me to 
think that I don't have time, but you, we need to make time for ourselves because, you know, yes, just because if, if you're not well and, you know, in every aspect, mm-hmm. you really, you know, you're not going to do your best work. Right. And nobody, nobody wants that Mm-mm. and pay or pay for it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> nobody wants to pay for you to do, you know, your mediocre, mediocre work or work that you did when you were, you know, not really completely with it and have half sleep. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me and for all that information and telling us about your story. It was so fun. (laughs) I am glad. I'm glad to hear that. It was my pleasure. So if anyone wants to find more info or reach out to you, you can look at your (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt. Um, and your Instagram has lots of awesome digital tips consult it's with savvy or your digital fixer or Monique. What's your, what's your, your personal Instagram? Oh, my personal, I kept it simple. It's just my first and last name. So it's just at, at Monique Wingard. Okay, perfect. Yeah. And I'll put that podcast details as well. Yay. Thank you, Chelsea. Thank you. If you're interested in learning more about Rivley and our services, you can head over to our website at rivley.com where a clear brain equals better you and a balanced tomorrow. Rivley virtual assistants are focused on your work-life wellness. Self-care is important and it's overlooked all too often. Our mission is to take things off your plate, allowing you time to recharge, refocus, and put your energy towards the things that matter most to you.